I'm going to pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you caused it to be written. Thank you that, um, that we come in with so many different stories happening in our lives, God. And, and you can speak directly into each one of us through your word. And so, God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you might have to say to us this morning. And, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right, John chapter 5. We're going to look at the healing at the pool this morning. Interesting story. All right, here we go. Sometime later. Oh, there's no Bibles. Oh, there they are. Anybody need a Bible? Melissa, need a Bible? Mom does. Anybody else? We got them back there. We good? Excellent. You should always bring your Bible to church. It'd be like going to a tennis game without your racket. Man, that goes back to Sunday school, huh? I love that. All right. Sometime later, chapter 5, verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, so Jesus had spent some time in Galilee. He hangs out there for a while, and we really don't know how long he's there. And he is now going to travel back to Jerusalem. Now, it could be up to a year and a half since he's actually been back there. And so some scholars, they put this whole festival thing somewhere around September, October. John really doesn't tell us what it is. In fact, this will be the only festival that John writes about that will not specifically say where Jesus is going. And now it's very interesting as we look at this sign that we're, the, the healing at the pool, John has been focusing primarily in his writings on Jesus and his interactions with just one person, a single person. But this healing, this sign is going to be very different. See, this sign is going to have to do with a group of people that will be involved, not in the actual miracle, but in the aftermath of it. And this sign will actually not lead people to faith. It will not lead people to believe in Jesus. In fact, this is going to begin contention with Jesus and the religious elite of his day. There are going to be some opposition that's going to come from this. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. He asked him, do you want to get well? So there's this pool near the temple, near the sheep gate. Now this pool would have been used to wash the sheep before they were taken into the temple, before they were... um, they would, be, they would be sacrificed. So this would be a place where they would be washed. Now, it was also a place where sick people would hang out and they would, they would kind of camp there in hopes of being healed by the waters. Now, the upper class people and the religious people 
would avoid this place because there would have been a chance that if they came into contact with all of these sick people, that they would become ceremonially unclean. And the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the priests, they would avoid this place literally like the plague. They did not want to be unclean. But Jesus... Jesus is drawn to this type of place. Jesus is drawn to these types of people. He doesn't care if there's a chance that he will be made ceremonially unclean. He does not abide by the normal religious traditions of his day, especially when those traditions dehumanize people. And so I have to ask myself, like, if Jesus came back today, what traditions would he not take part in? in? In our little evangelical world, what things would he, he would be like, no, I ain't doing that. Mm-mm. You know, like, I, I wonder if he would look at the way we, we, we Christians, the way we treat people. Like, would he be like, man, for real, you're, you're going to do that? Or, 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 or how would he, how would he, what would he think of how we treat each other? You know, not maybe here, but, you know, that other church down the street. <laughs> yeah, they wear suits and ties. <laughs> Come on, really? How would, he, how would he feel? Or would he join the religious right and march against gay marriage? Or would he stand out in front of an abortion clinic with signs waving, hurling insults at women that would walk in there? Listen, don't get me wrong. I believe with all my heart that marriage is to be between a man and a woman. And hear me, I pray for the day that all women would choose life. But the way that we go about those stances, our opinions, makes all the difference in the world. There's no law, there's no march, there's no protest, there are no signs that are going to change anyone's heart. Jesus changes hearts. Jesus loved people into the kingdom. Jesus did not shy away from difficult conversations. He would come alongside them. He would talk to them. He would love on them. He would share with them this idea of repentance. He would tell them, man, there are so many better ways to do this, to choose life, to choose, to choose harmony with God. And he would love them into the kingdom. He would offer them reconciliation and forgiveness and restoration. This is the Jesus way. Now, I wonder how many places that we would find Jesus that we Christians would never think about going into. He hung out with prostitutes. Anybody hang out with a prostitute recently? I know if you did, you ain't going to raise your hand, except, of course, my daughter. (laughs) Yeah, okay, awkward. No, okay, so... These are the kinds of people that Jesus loved. I bet you there's places that he would have went into that I wouldn't even go into. And that is saying something, man. I'm telling you straight up. So it was very common to find Jesus in places where upper class people or very religious, holy people, they would never find themselves in. And so, and so you have all these sick people laying around there in this pool. And there's really no explanation why. If you have an older Bible... 
and, and maybe an older translation, you might have a few sentences that have to do with um, there's an angel that comes and stirs the water and the first one in gets healed. But scholars have kind of said, well, you know, we think that was kind of added in there for maybe uh, uh, figuring out why they were there. And, and what we have is really a superstition that has found its way into the tradition of what this pool actually is. Now, um, pagan healing shrines were very, very common during Jesus' day. And the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they would never have agreed to some type of superstitious pool where people got healed. But it seems that they have let this one slide. They, kind of, they, they just kind of look the other way. And there's a possible reason for that because if there's a place where all of the sick people hang out, then you kind of keep them all in one area and you don't have to worry about being contaminated by them if you're a religious person or an upper class person. Now, listen, this may sound wrong and it is wrong, but this was the mindset of the people in Jesus' day. And so there's this pool and all these sick people are at this pool and the paralyzed and the lame and the blind and they're all there and they're hoping for a healing. And Jesus passes by this pool. He's there, and he notices this guy. This guy catches his eye. This guy's been sick for 38 years. We don't know what's wrong with him. It says that he's been an invalid for 38 years. We don't know what's going on with him. Um, but he is there hoping to be healed. Now, healings were, were a very sought-after thing in ancient times, in the Jewish culture and even in the Roman culture. And this guy, 38 years, has been sick. Now, uh, again, scholarship will say that the average life expectancy of this day and age didn't go much past 40. So this guy has probably been sick all of his life. Now, we don't know how long he's been sitting at the pool, but he has been sick most of his life. And so there has to be a sense of hopelessness there. Is this, that, is this all life has to offer me? That, that, that I have been this way. And, and through that hopelessness, man, you got to think that there's some bitterness that has set in and maybe some anger has set in as he moves through what could be very well the last few years of his life. And Jesus notices him. And Jesus sees him, somehow learns that he's been sick for a really long time and this guy is about to have an encounter that is going to change things for him. It's not going to change everything for him, but it will change some things for him. Jesus takes the initiative and speaks to this guy. He doesn't wait for this guy to notice him. He doesn't wait for this guy to ask him something. He doesn't wait for eye contact. Jesus goes to him and takes the initiative and speaks first. And Jesus asks a question. Do you want to get well? How often for us, Christians, in our prayer life, do we ask God questions? I mean, I do it. Uh, I'll be straight up, man. You know, I'm, I'm asking God, you know, should I, can I, will I, do I, could you help? What are you doing? Hello, remember me? You know, all of those things. And when I pray for our church, it's like, should we, can we, what's this look like? How, how does this happen? God, can you, you remember me? I'm over here. You know, all these questions that we ask God. And then we wait and we wait for God to answer. And this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to make all of our requests known to God. This is part of our spiritual life. But here's something that's very interesting that I find in this text. Jesus asks a question. 
And I thought maybe, maybe for us, maybe we need to just shut up in our prayer life a little bit and listen a little bit more. See, I like answers. I don't like questions. I got, I got a lot of questions. Myself, I don't know about you, I like answers. I like answers that are nice and tidy. I like answers that fit into my schedule. I like answers that I could afford. I like answers that maybe would give me stuff. That's just me. That's maybe not you. I might be standing alone out here, but I doubt it. I like answers. But maybe God wants to ask questions. Do you love me? Will you follow me? Do you trust me? Will you, will you give that thing over to me? Am I the most important thing in your life? Maybe our answer is in his question. And so Jesus asked this guy a question. Do you want to get well? Okay, in my limited human understanding of the creator of all things, this seems to me like a stupid question. The guy has been sick for 38 years. Hey, do you want to get better? Okay, you know, and, and I don't understand all the ways of God. I don't pretend to. Maybe 85, 9%, but not all of them. And so I'm... It was a joke. You can laugh. I'm not pompous or prideful, really. Okay. So, so, so Jesus asked him a question, and maybe he just wants to get to the heart of the issue. This guy has been sitting here. We don't know how long, and he's been trying to, to jump into this pool when the waters are stirred so he can get healed, which is probably a superstitious kind of pagan thing that's going on here. And he's been doing the same thing over and over again, getting the same results but expecting different results. Anybody know what that the definition of? insanity and maybe jesus is like man don't don't you want to get well and his answer to jesus he he can't look past the water thing his healing is going to come from this pool and he's going to sit there until the waters are stirred and somebody throws him in he said listen listen to what he says to jesus sir the invalid replied i have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred while i'm trying to get in someone else goes down ahead of me Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The guy doesn't see Jesus as a healer. He has no idea who he is. Why should he? Jesus didn't announce himself. He's just moseying on through. And he tells him, listen, yeah, I'd like to get healed, but you know, I'm sitting here. The waters get stirred, which is probably some underground spring or some way that they filled this pool um, and, and every time it's stirred, man, somebody jumps in ahead of me and they get healed and I just can't get in there. This guy cannot see past the pool for his healing. And Jesus looks at him, probably straight in the eyes. He says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And immediately the guy gets up, pick up, picks up his mat and walk. There's no prayer. There's no spectacle. There's no like, whoa. There's none of that going on here. Jesus just speaks a command. And this man is cured. And he gets up and walks. And here's the kicker. Here's what's very interesting. Nowhere does it say this man had any faith. He did not have faith in Jesus. He didn't know who Jesus was. It didn't seem that he had faith in God. He's at some superstitious pool trying to jump in when some angel churns the water so he can get healed. He had really nothing. And so Jesus 
finds this guy who later on we'll see is kind of a jerk. He finds this guy out of all of these people and for whatever reason cures him by just speaking his word. Now, how often have you heard if you've been in church world any amount of time, that it takes faith to be healed. If you have faith to be healed, you can be healed. Without any faith, ain't no healing going on here. You need to have a strong faith. This guy, he's got nothing, man. It doesn't say anything about him recognizing Jesus as God or even as a healer. The things of God, the power of God, is not limited By our human frailty. Listen, does faith count in our life? Does faith mean something? Does it play a role in healings? Absolutely, yes. Jesus will say to a soldier, man, I haven't seen such faith as this guy. And, And he cures a woman. He looks at her and says, your faith has healed you. But the power of God is not limited by our faith or by our lack of faith. God will do what God will do when God wants to do it because he's God. When, um, when my grandmother, uh, many, many years ago, um, she was diagnosed with lung cancer, and um, she believed, she, she was a woman of faith, she believed that she would, be, she would be healed, whether it was through chemotherapy and the doctors, that she just felt and had faith that God was not going to let her die from this, that she was going to beat it. And, you know, many people were praying. She prayed every day. I prayed every day. I would send her a big Bible verse every day in the mail for months and months, just, just reminding her of the love of God for her. And she'd get those every day. And we prayed and prayed. And in September of that year, she was diagnosed in April. In September of that year, I did the eulogy for my grandmother because she died. I remember my grandfather coming up afterwards and he put his arm around me. He goes, someday you're going to be a preacher. <laughs> Go figure but he died before he could see that happen. But this is what I've learned. That some people who have faith to be healed, they die. And some people who have no faith, man, somehow, sometimes they're healed and they live. And so why bother with faith at all? I mean, is it just like a big roll of the dice? Hey, let's see what happens you know, we ask God, God doesn't come through. This person, why did he get healed? He's the scum of the earth. And, and this person who has served, is, is it really all just a big crapshoot for us? No. You see, faith is not just our drive-up window to get stuff from God. That is not what faith is. And we touched on it last week briefly. And man, I'm still churning this whole thing in my heart and in my mind. And here it is. Faith is the passion to live in a way that recognizes there is something much bigger than us. Something much bigger going on than your life. There's something much more than we can see, than we can feel, and than we could hear. And faith allows us to engage those purposes of God. Faith allows us Um, to engage without fear. Faith allows us to engage without pretense. Those things, those giftings, those callings that God has put on your life. That's what faith is. Faith, faith allows us, gives us the ability 
to hear God's questions and then to move our lives towards living those answers. Let me give you an example. I've spoke about this before. Um, and I don't know when, but I'm going to speak about it again. And uh, this, is, this is my heart. This is where we want to move as a church. I continually wrestle with the idea of people asking God why. And I, now I, I call them the big whys. Not the big whys supermarket where you can get lime and orchard apple pies. But, you know, the W-H-Y, the big why. You know, God, why do you allow people to starve in this world? Children to starve. God, why did you allow Rwanda to take place? Why are you allowing Darfur to, to, to go through what they're going through? God, why, why the Holocaust? Those are your people. God, why do people die every day from curable diseases? Why don't people have clean drinking water? God, why? And if you're a Jesus follower, you can't help but to think and ask those questions. Let's, let's talk about diarrhea for a minute. Okay. It's, it's, diarrhea is fun. Even the word, even you know, the most staunch adult, even inside, they're like, diarrhea. That, and it's funny, until you get it. Then it's not so funny anymore. It becomes a pain. It, never mind. Um, and, and then when it's over, you can laugh about it a little bit. Okay? Let's talk about this for a second. 2009, it's estimated that 2.2 million people in our world will die from diarrhea. Is that funny? Really? 2.2 million people will die in our world this year from diseases cause that cause diarrhea their cause of death will be the dehydration that follows that's 6,000 people every day that's that's four people every minute it doesn't seem so funny anymore does it that's one person every 14 seconds one two three four five Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Someone has died. Two, three, four. And the cycle continues over and over again. Eighty percent of those 2.2 million people will be children under the age of two. Yeah, not so funny anymore, is it? God, why would you let people die from something that we here in the West can drive down to CVS, get a little of the pink stuff, maybe a little Imodium, and cure the problem? You cannot help but to ask, why? But here's my rub. Here's what I wrestle with. Maybe, no, not maybe. I believe wholeheartedly God is asking us, why? Why would you allow Rwanda to take place? Why have you allowed AIDS to become a pandemic? Why are you allowing the things in Darfur? Why do you allow people to starve? Why do you allow people to be homeless? Why do you allow people to die from diseases that are so easily cured with over-the-counter medications? And see, we're so busy always asking the questions, always pointing the fingers, that we don't hear God asking us the question. Why? American Christians that live in America, 
on average, give 2.6% of their income away to the kingdom of God. If just the Christians in America gave 10% of their income to the kingdom of God, and churches then gave away 10% or even more of their income to social justice and the things of God, in less than two years, the American Christians would have amounted, amassed enough money to permanently end starvation worldwide and the problem of unclean drinking water. Hmm. And so, faith is what leads us to live below our means and not at them. Faith is the thing that allows us to engage the world for Jesus in ways that just don't make sense. Faith is that thing that shuts us up for a little bit and allows us to hear the questions of God. And then faith is the strength that can move us towards his answers. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. This is no small detail here in the story that this took place on the Sabbath. Jesus once again has begun to buck the system. The Jewish leaders now, they're not so concerned about the whole healing thing. What they've become upset about is this guy is carrying his mat. The, the thing that he would lie on, his bed. Now, he is not breaking a biblical Sabbath law. He is breaking a Jewish traditional law on the Sabbath. The law would say that the tradition is you cannot carry something from one domain to another domain. Now, if this guy had somebody on his bed and he was carrying them, that would be okay. But not when you're just carrying your mat. He is breaking the Jewish tradition. Now, this whole idea with, with, with um, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sabbath back then, listen, man, this started, this started as something very pure. This started as, as them really wanting to protect the holiness of this day. They really wanted to hold on. I mean, this is, this is a day for God. And over time, more things, more rules, more regulations started to come in to make sure and to make sure. It's kind of like the classic example of micromanagement. And until, and, and, and by the time Jesus happens on the scene, the day has just completely lost its meaning for what it was for. It's a day of rest, a day not to pursue the things of this world, a day to focus on God and not yourself. This is what it originally meant. And you know, I, I love the fact that we, we Christians, we kind of look down our nose like that. Man, those people just, they totally don't get the Sabbath. Yeah, guess what? We don't either. We don't take the day and totally give it. It's got Sunday is the day where you get all that stuff done that you didn't get done during the week now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, I go to church. Yeah, I'm there at church. We don't celebrate the Sabbath. We have no right to look down the nose of these people. Maybe one day we'll, we'll do a teaching on the Sabbath, a series. I don't know. But, but I just thought, man, you know, because I, I got all, I'm just like, yeah, stupid people. They don't, they don't get the Sabbath. You know, either do I. I bet most of us don't have any understanding what it means to rest, to focus on God. One day, that's all he asks, one day. 
I love the Old Testament stuff. That, like that God is laying out the stuff. If you do this on the Sabbath, if you do this, if you play this, if you work here, if you're there, God says, I'll kill you. That's what he says. I'll kill you. But yet we, too, miss what the Sabbath really is. Jesus is accused of not healing, but causing someone else to break a Sabbath law. And this guy gets freaked out when he's asked. He's like, you know, hey, there's some guy that healed me. He told me that I should do this. This is what it says in the text. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up, uh, to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. Nice guy. So Jesus meets up with the guy at the temple. It's got to be my son. Jesus meets up with the guy at the temple. And um, I don't think he's there praising God because he's healed. He's just kind of lingering around. He's not. And, and, and Jesus looks at him. And, and I'll tell you, the words of Jesus, they freak me out a little bit. Was it my son? No. Woo! Yes! Thank you, God. Okay. I feel much better now. Somebody else is. Listen to the words of Jesus. See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. This idea of, of you're well again has this very permanent connotation to it. It would seem that these, these healings at this well didn't last very long. Superstition or, or, um, or pagan rites usually don't heal people. Emotional responses to something don't really heal people. When I was a newbie in the faith, I was on a worship team and we went to a worship conference and um, we got there Friday night. It was a great time of worship. And then Saturday, and I remember there was, there was an older gentleman and he walked with a walker and he walked with a really, really bad limp. And so, thank you guys. That was dope. And he, and he walked with a really, really bad limp. And um, during the course of the worship um, on Saturday, a pastor decided that he had heard from God that he wanted, uh, that, that God wanted this man healed. That no longer would he walk with a limp, no longer would he use a walker, that he would be fully restored to health. And so they, they called him forward and they came around him and all these people were around him and they were praying over him and they were yelling to God and, and this guy and they were touching his legs and the worship band was playing and, and all I can think of now as I look back is there's this just big emotional thing, this like churning of the machine, man, and there were people crying and they're just putting hands all over them, and they're praying, and they're praying, and they're praying. Finally, the, the circle separates a little bit, and the pastor says, you've been healed, do you believe it? And the guy looks up, and he doesn't know what to say, and, and the pastor says, just yell out, I am healed. And the guy says, I'm healed. And the pastor goes, do it again. And he yells out, I'm healed. He goes, no, no, just leave your walker here, and run down the aisle. And the guy puts his walker aside, and he doesn't really run down the aisle, and he doesn't really even walk fast, but he walks with a limp. And everybody's like, whoa, you know, he's walking without his walker. And I'm like, well, well, maybe, maybe this healing's got to set in a little bit before he can actually run. I don't know. I'm, I'm new to all this. And, and there's people crying and they're praising God. This guy has been healed. There's no walker. And then the next morning he comes in 
to the worship conference with his walker. Walking slow. Just like he had been. And I thought, what is that all about? You see, emotional response, the, the, the spectacle, man, it, 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 it doesn't work. And it's almost like that's what this pool was doing. People were the first to get in, yes, I'm healed. Maybe not so much. And maybe, maybe it was not this older gentleman's faith that was in question. Maybe it was the faith of the pastor. Because we don't see in this healing, Jesus prayed. Jesus commanded, get up, pick up your mat and walk. There's authority that he walked in, that man, if we could just tap into. And so, Jesus tells this guy, man, you have been healed permanently. Not like that, not like that pool healing thing. You have been healed permanently. Now, he says, stop sinning or something else may happen to you even worse. And, you know, that, that freaks me out a little bit. This guy would have seemed to and somehow been involved in some sin, something going on in his life. Jesus tells him, stop it. Stop it or something else may happen to you. This means that this guy... The sin in his life, the consequence of that sin is the reason why he is sick. That sin can actually cause sickness in our life. Now, let me be very clear here. Hear me in this. Not all people who get sick are sick, are sick because they have sinned. Okay? Am I very clear on that? Not everyone who is sick is sick because they've sinned in some way. Do not walk around and say, oh, that person is sick. What did they do? That is not your place. It's not our place as followers of Jesus to even go there. In fact, Jesus in John 9 will even dismiss this simple cause and effect of sin and sickness. The Old Testament, there's a few passages that talk about not all sickness is caused by sin. But in this case, somehow Jesus implies that this guy has sinned and it's called, caused some sickness in his life. And this guy shouldn't go back there or something worse may happen to him. Now, we, we all won't argue that sin can cause in our lives um, emotional suffering. Sin can cause spiritual suffering. And sin can cause physical suffering. And Jesus tells him, listen, don't go back there. Something else, something worse may happen. If you are in something in your life right now, and you are just like, you know what? I don't care what the word of God has to say. I am going to do what I want to do. And this is a warning to be careful. Because there can be consequences to sin that go way beyond just your emotional or spiritual life. That can go right into the physical. Now, I'm going to let this hang with you for the next couple weeks. Here's what's going to happen. Um, Through the generosity of some friends of ours, um, Sandy and I, we get to uh, celebrate our anniversary. Um, We're going to go away next weekend, okay, to, uh, to Nantucket. And it was going to be a surprise, but... She needed some light at the end of her tunnel too. And I had this big like, we're going away. And she's like, oh, work. So, so I kind of I told her. And, um, and so Rob Dennis and, and Mariah Dennis, uh, she's going to lead worship. And Rob's going to continue on in the text. But when we get back, I've, I've prepared a teaching on sin. 
And it's actually, uh, I've prepared a teaching on living an imperfect life. And, and I think we really need to spend some time in this. It's not going to be what we're used to. I'm not going to go line by line, verse by verse like we have been. It's going to be a topical discussion. Um, and in fact, in my own personal time of reading, I've been reading a book by Eugene Peterson. And this is one of the chapters in this book. And I've read this chapter over and over again. And it has spoke so deeply to my spirit about this idea of sin in our life. And, and how do we really overcome it? that I just have to share it with you. And so I'll be teaching right out of this chapter. I mean, I won't have the book. It's all kind of laid out and, 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 and I've worked through it, but I, I can't take any credit for the thoughts. It's just an amazing um, look at the imperfection that we all walk in. And so in two weeks, we're going to go there. We're going we're gonna to talk about this idea of sin in our lives and, and what it looks like and, and what it means for us. And, and, and is it really curable? I mean, is sin really curable? There is one thing that can, and I'm not going to tell you until a couple of weeks, okay? So I'm just going to let this whole idea, this end of this story, this guy just like Jesus tell him, listen, don't be going back there or something worse may happen to you. And just let that hang with you over, over the next couple of weeks. And um, I'll see you in, in two weeks and, and we'll go there. So um, I'm going to pray and then um, we're going to get our chili on, so. God, I want to thank you for your grace and mercy. I want to thank you for your word. Uh, God, I pray that it would sink into our hearts. Uh, Lord, give us faith, please. Like real faith, like, like, like not Cracker Jack Christianity faith where it's all nice and sugar-coated and we get a little prize inside, but like faith to engage this world for you and, and, and what that looks like for each of us. And God, I pray that as we leave here... Um, that we would live our life outside the walls of church and engage the world for you. God, I want to thank you for um, this past year and what you've done and, and what you're continuing to do. And God, um, I'm going to ask that you would continue to ask us um, the questions that we can move our life and our church towards. So thank you. Thank you that you, uh, you love us. I thank you for the gift of Jesus. Amen.